Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from their front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to another Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. And we are on episode 16. Not sweet 16. Not sweet 16. Well, it might be sweet, who knows? And never been missed. <laughs> never, never been, been listened to. <laughs> So today we're going to cover the Roswell incident. Now, the Roswell incident is usually the first thing that comes across people's lips the minute they start talking about ufology. But does everyone really know everything about the Roswell incident? Well, very often when you listen to podcasts about ufology, they bring up Roswell as a sort of a fleeting comment and assume that everybody knows everything about it. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the story first of all, just to give you a rundown of exactly what was supposed to have happened around that time. And then we're going to look at some newspaper articles. Now I found an absolutely amazing website during the research that has got up to about 50 newspaper articles written from around the time. It's really interesting because they've got different takes on it. They've been taken from different eyewitnesses, etc., etc. So really worth looking at. So check our show notes because the links will be in there for you. Okay, so we're going to start off with the story. So an unidentified flying object crashed on a ranch northwest of Roswell, New Mexico, sometime during the first week of July 1947. Quite an important point because a lot of people say it happened on July the 8th, 1947. No, that's when it was first released to the press. It actually happened a couple of days before. So rancher W.W. Mac Brazel said later he found debris from the crash as he and the son of Floyd and Loretta Proctor rode their horses out to check on sheep after a fierce thunderstorm the night before. Brazel said as they rode along, he began to notice unusual pieces of what seemed to be metal debris scattered over a large area. Upon further inspection, he said he saw a shallow trench several hundred feet long that had been gouged into the ground. Brazel said that as he was struck by the unusual properties of the debris and after dragging large pieces of it to a shed, he took some of it over to show the Proctors. Mrs Proctor, who later moved from the ranch to a house closer to town, said she remembers Brazel showing up with a strange material. The Proctors told Brazel he might be holding wreckage from an alien spacecraft. A number of UFO sightings had been reported in the United States that summer or it may have been a government project, and that he should report the incident to Chaves County Sheriff. A day or two later, Brazel drove into Roswell and reported the incident to Wilcox, who reported it to Major Jesse Marcel, intelligence officer for the 509th Bomb Group, stationed at Roswell Army Airfield. In their book, A History of UFO Crashes, UFO researchers Don Schmidt and Kevin Randall say their research shows military radar had been tracking an unidentified flying object in the skies over southern New Mexico for four days. On the night of 4th of July 1947, radar indicated the object had gone down about 30 to 40 miles northwest of Roswell. 4th of July. That's weird. Mm. Like the whole um, Independence Day movie. Yeah. (laughs) The book says eyewitnesses William Woody who lived east of Roswell, said he remembered being outside with his father the night of July 4th, 1947, when he saw a brilliant object plunge to the ground. The debris site was closed for several days while the wreckage was cleared, and Schmidt and Randall say that when Woody and his father tried to locate the area of the crash they had seen, Woody said they were stopped by military personnel who ordered them out of the area. 
Schmidt and Randall say Marcel, after receiving the call from Wilcox and subsequent orders from Colonel William Blanchard, 509th Commanding Officer, went to investigate Brazel's report. Marcel and Captain Sheridan Cavett, Senior Counterintelligence Corps agent, followed the rancher off-road to his place. They spent the night there and Marcel inspected a large piece of debris Brazel had dragged from the pasture. Monday morning, July 7th, Marcel took his first step into the debris field. Marcel would remark that something must have exploded above ground and fell. As Brazel, Cavett and Marcel inspected the field, Marcel was able to determine which direction it came from and which direction it was heading. It was in the pattern. You could tell where it started out and where it ended by how it was thinned out. According to Marcel, the debris was strewn over a wide area, I guess maybe three quarters of a mile long and a few hundred feet wide. Scattered in the debris were small bits of metal that Marcel held a cigarette lighter to to see if it would burn. Along with the metal, Marcel described weightless I-beam-like structures that were three-eighths an inch by one-quarter inch, none of them very long, that would neither bend nor break. Some of these I-beams had indecipherable characters along the length in two colours. Marcel also described metal debris, the thickness of tin foil that was indestructible. Initially, it was just a civilian that went to this and saw this, right? Mm-hmm. Did you see, like, alien chunks or anything? Or was it all just pieces well, of the Well, all he saw at that point was debris. But we're coming on to it. After gathering enough debris to fill his car, Marcel decided to stop by his home on the way back to the base to, so that he could show his family the unusual debris. He'd never seen anything quite like it. I didn't know what we were picking up, he said. I still don't know what it was. It could not have been part of an aircraft, not part of any kind of a weather balloon or experimental balloon. I've seen rockets sent up at the White Sands testing grounds. It definitely was not part of an aircraft or missile or rocket. Under hypnosis conducted by Dr John Watkins in May 1990, Jesse Marcel Jr. remembered being awakened by his father that night and followed him outside to help carry a large box filled with debris. Once inside, they emptied the contents of the debris onto the kitchen floor. Jesse Jr. described the lead foil and I-beams. Under hypnosis, he recalled writing the letter I-beams as purple, strange, never saw anything like it, different geometric shapes, leaves and circles. Under questioning, he said the symbols were shiny purple and they were small. There were many separate figures. This too, under hypnosis, Marcel Sr. was saying it was a flying saucer. I asked him what a flying saucer is. I don't know what a flying saucer is. It's a ship. And then he explains that his dad was excited. Marcel reported what he found to Blanchard, showing him pieces of the wreckage, none of which looked like anything Blanchard had ever seen. Meanwhile, Glenn Dennis, a young mortician working at Ballard Funeral Home, received some curious calls one afternoon from the RAAF morgue. The base's mortuary officer was trying to get hold of some small, hermetically sealed coffins and also wanted to know how to preserve bodies that had been exposed to the elements for a few days and avoid contaminating the tissue. Okay. Once the military were in there, they came across these bodies. But that's weird because just because, I mean, if it was truly an alien thing, whatever we use might not work on alien corpses or whatever. Yeah, because they may decompose in a different way. Dennis later said that evening that he drove to the base hospital where he saw large pieces of wreckage with strange engravings on one of the pieces sticking out of the back of a military ambulance. 
He entered the hospital and was visiting with a nurse he knew when he suddenly was threatened by military police and forced to leave. The next day, Dennis met with the nurse who told him about bodies discovered within the wreckage and drew pictures of them on a prescription pad. Within a few days, she was transferred to England. Her whereabouts remain unknown. At 11am, July 8th, 1947, Lieutenant Walter Hout, RAAF Public Information Officer, finished a press release. Blanchard had ordered him to write, stating that the wreckage of a crash disc had been recovered. He gave copies to the two radio stations and both of the local newspapers. By 2.26pm, the story was on the Associated Press wire. The Army Air Forces here today announced that a flying disc had been found. As calls began to pour into the base from all over the world, Lieutenant Robert Shirky watched as MPs carried loaded wreckage onto a C-54 from the first transport unit. To get a better look, Shirky stepped around Colonel Blanchard, who was irritated with all of the calls coming into the base. Blanchard decided to travel out to the debris field and left instructions that he'd gone on leave. Blanchard had sent Marcel to Fort Worth, Army Airfield, which is later Carswell Air Force Base, to report to Brigadier General Roger M. Ramey, commanding officer of the 8th Air Force. Marcel told Hout years later that he'd taken some of the debris to Ramey's office to show him what had been found. The material was displayed on Ramey's desk for the general when he returned. Upon his return, Ramey wanted to see the exact location of the debris field, so he and Marcel went to the map room down the hall. But when they returned, the wreckage that had been placed on the desk was gone and a weather balloon was spread out on the floor. <laughs> Major Charles A. Carchon took the now-famous photo of Marcel with the weather balloon in Ramey's office. And in fact, within this article, again in the show notes, you will see a picture of them with that weather balloon. It was then reported that Ramey recognised the remains as part of a weather balloon. Brigadier General Thomas DeBose, the Chief of Staff on the 8th Air Force, said it was a cover story, the whole balloon part of it. That was a part of the story we were told to give to the public and news, and that was it. Later that afternoon, Hout's original press release was rescinded, and an officer from the base retrieved all of the copies from the radio stations and newspaper offices. The next day, July the 9th, a second press release was issued stating that the 509th bomb group had mistakenly identified a weather balloon as wreckage of a flying saucer. On July 9th, as reports went out that the crashed object was actually a weather balloon, cleanup crews were busily clearing the debris. Bud Payne, a rancher at Corona, was trying to round up a stray when he was spotted by the military and carried off the foster ranch. Broadcaster Judd Roberts and Walt Whitmore were turned away as they approached the debris field. As the wreckage was brought to the base, it was crated and stored in a hangar. Back in town, Walt Whitmore and Lyman Strickland saw their friend, Mac Brazell, who was being escorted to the Roswell Daily Record by three military officers. He ignored Whitmore and Strickland, which was not like Mac, and once he got to the Roswell Daily Record offices, he changed his story. He now claimed to have found a debris on June the 14th. Brazell also mentioned that he'd found weather observation devices on two other occasions, but what he found this time was no weather balloon. So that's the story. So the story starts off where they discuss this trench that had been gouged into the ground by this obviously heavy piece of equipment that had hit the ground at speed, which a weather balloon wouldn't have done. The weather balloon on several of the newspaper reports goes on to say that it was constructed of like a foil-like material with balsa wood. Now, have you ever have you ever held balsa wood or played with balsa wood? I'm not sure. 
So balsa wood is if you get little sort of toy planes or whatever that need to be really light so that they can they can be thrown and, and fly. Like popsicle stick. No, it's lighter than that. It's it's really, really light, this stuff. I mean you can you can snap it between two fingers. It's really, really breakable. But they're talking about heavy or not heavy, but hard metal that can't be damaged, things that can't be bent. Jesse Marcel actually later on described that this foil that he found or that that he had from the wreckage that he could scrunch up in his hand and when he let go of it and released it, it would un-sort of furl, if you like, uncurl from um, its scrunched up position, totally flatten out and not have any marks or grooves or creases in it. It was totally would would move back to its original state. Wow. They should make clothes out of that. Exactly, yeah. And <laughs> you don't need to iron them. Yeah. So, yeah, you couldn't rip this material, you couldn't burn it, you couldn't break it, and when you tried to scrunch it up, it returned back to its original state. So these properties, certainly in the 40s, of things that, you know, they just didn't have back then. Everyone would have been able to say that's a bit of foil. Everyone would have been able to determine that that's a bit of balsa wood. It's interesting when you think about it, isn't it? They suddenly put out on the 9th of July that it was only a weather balloon. But even at that point, they're still packaging everything up, creating it up, taking it along to an Air Force base, stopping people from going into that area. If it's just a weather balloon, why would they do that? Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I mean, the thing is, if they had said nothing, they probably would have been better off. Well, can you imagine if that happened today? Can you imagine if today something happened and then all of a sudden someone from the army came out and said it was a UFO, how people would react? <laughs> that happens on the internet all the time, doesn't it? Can, can you imagine them trying to go back to the radio stations and that to get the press releases so they could take them all away? Because it would be on Twitter, it would be on Oh, these days Facebook, the, it would go around so be, quick. But, but I just think they would have been better off by not saying anything. Because if they'd say nothing... Then what? The news goes, oh, they're they're not confirming or denying, but then where does it go after that? Yeah. There's nothing they can really do. So by taking out the, or by saying what they said initially and then changing the story, yeah, basically created something that is way worse now. Well, everyone was still on pins, weren't they, around this sort of time? This is just after the Second World War, yeah. 1947. So it's just after the Second World War. It's just after the bomb on Hiroshima. Which was August 1945. Well, they could have just played it safe and said, oh, we found debris from part of a plane that was... Exactly, which which makes it think that they did honestly believe at that point that it was a flying saucer. I mean, you've also got this situation whereby a nurse at the hospital is seeing all of this weird activity going on and someone's phoning a mortician asking if they've got hermetically sealed coffins. Yeah, well... But still... I mean, I'm, I'm not aware of anything that travels on a weather balloon that needs a hermetically sealed coffin. There's too many points to this. There's too many things that initially happen because people are panicking. And that's, that's really what it is, isn't it? That's what it comes down to. Everyone's panicking. So, so they're going, oh shit, this is, you know, this is real. This is what's happening. We've just suddenly had an alien spacecraft that's crashed in Roswell or near Roswell. Yeah. They, they haven't had to prepare for this before. It's interesting that, did you know that NASA organised for the moon landings, they actually had a, I think we discussed it before, a protocol that would be in place if they were to come across alien beings. 
how to behave, what to say, what to do. So it's quite interesting to think that the idea of something crashing here on Earth, there was no protocol in place. There was no... Yeah, I wonder how popular before this happened, movies there were about it and stuff, and different stories, or did that just all of a sudden... Well, you got War of the Worlds. When did that come out? That's quite an old one. Well, no, I know, and that was... What was that, H.G. Wells or something that wrote The War of the Worlds? Were there any other? I mean, pretty much stuff really started happening after that, right? You had... Well, during the Second World War, you had all of the talk about what they used to call Foo Fighters, didn't they? Things that were chasing the planes or or at least keeping up with the planes. And there was even... There's even books out there on planes during the Second World War that are doing all of the dogfights, whereby they're actually dogfighting with craft that are just... They cannot be you know, German or Russian or whatever, they are just exhibiting flight dynamics that nothing could do at that point. Yeah, well, it, it, it's still, this makes me think of that whole Ant and Deck alien autopsy. Why would, I mean, I, I never realized who they were and they've got their song, which means absolutely nothing to me. They're a little well, one they had wonder that, thing. They had that years you ago, know, yeah, when they were kids. But before, I never even heard of them until I moved here. Yeah. But I do remember the alien autopsy thing being on TV. Yeah. And to think now that it was too, you know, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, people. Well, it wasn't really them. It wasn't. It was them acting. I thought you said no, it was them. Yeah, it was them. them acting in the in the movie, the alien autopsy movie. Okay, but they couldn't get anybody more popular and famous than Ant and Deck from the UK. Hey, listen, Ant and Deck. I mean, you, that you right there. You can't diss Ant and Deck. I'm sorry. I'm not. Dissing hey, them. What do you mean from the UK anyway? Well, they don't I'm have to be a saying. Hollywood actor. <laughs> I never said they had to be a Hollywood <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Ant and Deck. There's nothing wrong with Ant and Deck. I'm, I'm not going to have anything no, said against Ant and Deck. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm just saying, like, that was the best they could come up with at that particular point. They couldn't get I think some, they like... did a good job of that movie. Really? Yeah. They did. I watched I think it. So. So you I. said I watched it, yeah. and I don't remember. So how good could it have really been? Alien, it, the idea was, and it's a true story, that the original... They made alien, a movie about an alien being autopsy. Yeah, well, the, the original <laughs> alien autopsy movie, which I don't know if you've ever seen, and I'm talking about the real one there, which, they, which people suggested was a real alien autopsy. It was the classic grey that was being looked at on a, on a um, hospital sort of in an operating room Gurney. type thing. Um, and they were taking it apart. Have you never seen the actual alien autopsy Yeah, video? but I can remember. It's really grainy. But, well, yeah, the, these it was two like guys, Well, yeah, because these two guys from Newcastle basically hoaxed the whole situation, Yeah, made it look like it, and then tried to sell it. To, to say this is the this is really what happened after Roswell. This is what was done at Area Fifty One, and it wasn't. It was two guys from Newcastle that that or around that area, maybe Middlesbrough or whatever, that put this whole thing together. And Anton Deck played the part of those two guys that tried to sell it as true when it was really fake. Right. Well, thank God that 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 was not their crowning achievement. <laughs> Their song probably didn't do much better because I don't remember it. No, never. I, I still don't think I could tell you what it was I, I have no clue what it sounds like let's get ready to rumble let's get ready to rumble yeah no okay i've never heard of that song the only time i've heard let's get ready to rumble was um was it showtime every time the boxing matches would come on let's get ready to rumble yeah that one <laughs> <laughs> 
But I wonder. So, so like, I have to think about it. Did the song come first or did the... No, I think it came first on the boxing. All right. Okay, then. But I can say that Ant and Deck probably have more money than I'll ever, ever see in my lifetime, so... Yeah, unless we win the lottery, which, by the way, I'd like to put out there for anyone who's listening, if you just want to... You know, think about us here winning the lottery. That would be absolutely fantastic. And uh, if it does, then we'll we'll give you all a little bit. It's, uh, yeah. What is that like? A prayer chain? No, I'm sending it out to the universe. Yeah. If everyone if everyone thinks that for us, then you never know. We might win the lottery, and then we can do this. We can do this every day then without having to worry about earning money elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody loves us. As much as they would like winning the thing, so I'm I'm sure they're gonna say. I'm well, they're not now. The you just said them. that. <laughs> God, we're supposed to show United Front here. <laughs> That's an outline, anyway, of the whole Roswell incident. Okay, and there's more that goes along with that. That people say that they've seen it, seen uh, aliens and that at Area 51 being brought in. They're all stuff from other people. But the whole Roswell incident itself started from these newspaper reports. So let's just jump right in. This first article was in the Gallup Independent in Gallup, New Mexico, the U.S. Page one on June 27th, 1947, which incidentally was a couple of weeks before... Before the whole Roswell incident came into light, yeah. Dr. R.F. Sensenager and members of his family reported seeing a brilliant disc sail out of the northern sky Wednesday evening, the Silver City Daily Press said today. First report of such discs came from Pendleton, Oregon Wednesday, where Kenneth Arnold, flying Boise, Idaho businessman, reported seeing nine such objects, each as big as a DC-4 passenger plane, moving at a high rate of speed. A similar report came from Oklahoma City residents. Dr. Sensenager, a dentist, Mrs. Sensenager, and her sister, Mrs. C.B. Monroe, were riding along the Tyrone Road last Wednesday about 8 p.m. when they reported a luminous disk sailed out of the northern sky and disappeared in a few seconds over the southern horizon. Dr. Sensenager said the disk appeared to be about half the size of a full moon, very brilliant, far distant, and apparently not moving at excessive speed. They could not connect the appearance with any natural phenomenon they had experienced, and their curiosity was further whetted when they read about such bright objects being seen in the sky of Washington and Oklahoma. Yeah, so again, in here, in this particular report, they're already quoting stuff that had already been seen previously. So this is something that was going on well before the whole July the 8th thing was actually released. Okay, this next article was in the local daily newspaper, the Roswell Daily Record, on July 8th, 1947. So this is the same day now as the Roswell stuff was released. Roswell hardware man and wife report disc scene. The intelligence office of the 509th Bombardment Group at Roswell Army Field announced at noon today that the field has come into possession of a flying saucer. According to information released by the department over authority of Major J.A. Marcel, intelligence officer, the disc was recovered on a ranch in the Roswell vicinity after an unidentified rancher had notified Sheriff George Wilcox here that he had found the instrument on his premises. Major Marcel, in a detail from his department, 
went to the ranch and recovered the disc. It was stated. After the intelligence office here had inspected the instrument, it was flown to higher headquarters. The intelligence office stated that no details of the saucer's construction or its appearance had been revealed. Mr. and Mrs. Dan Wilmont apparently were the only persons in Roswell who saw what they thought was a flying disc. They were sitting on their porch at 105 South Penn last Wednesday night at about 10 o'clock when a large glowing object zoomed out of the sky from the southeast, going in a northwesterly direction at a high rate of speed. Wilmont called Mrs. Wilmont's attention to it and both ran down into the yard to watch. It was in sight less than a minute, perhaps 40 or 50 seconds, Wilmont estimated. Wilmont said that it appeared to him to be about 1,500 feet high and going fast. He estimated between 400 and 500 miles per hour. In appearance, it looked oval in shape like two inverted saucers faced mouth to mouth or like two old tight wash bowls placed together in the same fashion. The entire body glowed as though light were shining through from inside, though not like it would be if a light were merely underneath. From where he stood, Wilmont said that the object looked to be about five feet in size, and making allowance for the distance it was from town, he figured that it must have been 15 to 20 feet in diameter, though this was just a guess. Wilmont said that he had heard no sound, but Mrs. Wilmont said she heard a swishing sound for a very short time. The object came into view from the southeast and disappeared over the treetops in the general vicinity of Six Mile Hill. Wilmont, who was one of the most respected and reliable citizens in town, kept a story to himself, hoping that someone else would come out and tell about having seen one, but finally today decided that he would go ahead and tell about it. The announcement that the RAAF was in possession of one came only a few minutes after he decided to release the details of what he had seen. He'd found all of this was happening beforehand, and he was going to keep it quiet, and when obviously the details of the Roswell incident came out, he suddenly stood up then and said, well, hang on a minute, I can tell you I saw something as well. And I think that's a lot of what started happening then because if you look at this site, which has got all of these newspaper interviews on, you suddenly see loads of people then writing in about different things that they've seen and what have you. Now, is it because everyone is now thinking they're seeing stuff? You know, every plane, every shooting star. Yeah, and they want to be... They want to be included in this big, huge story. Yeah, and people are paranoid now. They're looking at everything and thinking, is this something as well? Especially if if we suddenly thought we're being invaded by aliens, yeah, you'd be looking at the fucking sky. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You would, wouldn't you? You yeah. know, you would be looking at it and you would be paranoid and anything that, that you're not used to seeing, you would put down to being an alien craft. So you can understand the hysteria, if you like, that started to generate and, and started to build around this time. Yeah. So there's lots of different newspapers obviously run start running with this story now of the Roswell incident because it's big news. Yeah, You definitely. know, nothing like this has been in the news before. It's pretty funny. People had to write in... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to the news. So they had to sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and actually write, then put a stamp on it and send it, and then wait to see what was going to happen. It's, it's interesting, actually, because I, whenever I read something in the newspaper, I usually I, I want to read several different newspapers' takes on things before I will form an opinion because really you can't believe anything you read in the paper these days and a lot of that is because everything is open to interpretation isn't it fake news 
<laughs> Fake news, Mr. Trump. Yeah. Um, but it is, isn't it? Everything's open to interpretation as well. So even if you've got a newspaper editor, for instance, that isn't looking to, or a reporter that isn't looking to embellish upon something, they're going to hear it different. I could, I could get six people in a room with us now. I could tell them a story. I could ask them to go away and write... Well, that, that Chinese whisper thing, Yeah, exactly. Isn't it? They're going to come back with different versions of the story. So whether they're actually actively trying to change the story to make it more sensational and, and everything is one thing. But there's obviously you've still got to allow that little bit of leeway, haven't you, for people's interpretation. So I've got another report here. This is Disc Lands on Ranch in New Mexico is held by Army. Ooh. Stop acting like you're better than me. What? Like you can tell your story better than me. Once upon a time. <laughs> no, it's more authentic when you do it anyway, because you've got the American accent, you know, as you're reading these American news stories. So the Army Air Force here today announced that a flying disc had been found on a ranch near Roswell and is in Army possession. Lieutenant Warren Hort, public information officer of the Roswell Army Airfield, announced the find had been made sometime last week and had been turned over to the airfield through cooperation of the Sheriff's Office. It was inspected at the Roswell Army Airfield and was subsequently loaned by Major Jesse A. Marcel of the 509th Bomb Group Intelligence Office at Roswell to higher headquarters. Wait, did it say that the, the stuff was passed to the Army um, because the Sheriff loaned. cooperated? Yeah, yeah, it was Yeah, loaned. like he had a choice. Yeah, I wonder Government was like, give it. Now. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, because it would have been, I suppose, if it had have come in from space, then it would automatically be government material, wouldn't it? And not not like a local sheriff's jurisdiction. I don't Surely really the think feds they would had, come in and... I don't really think they had a, you know, rule for it. <laughs> well, exactly. This is what we're going back to, isn't but it? But I just think it's funny that it said that the, sh- the sheriff cooperated, like, yeah. like he had a choice. <laughs> The Army gave no other details. In Washington, D.C., Brigadier General Roger Ramey said today a battered object described as a flying disc is being shipped by air to the AAF Research Center in Wrightfield, Ohio. Ramey, commander of the 8th Air Force with headquarters at Fort Worth, received the object from the Roswell Army Air Base. In talking by telephone to the AAF headquarters in Washington, Ramey described the object as a flimsy construction, almost like a box kite. It was so badly battered that Ramey was unable to say whether it had disc form. He did not indicate the size of the object. There were some fragments of junk found near the object near New Mexico Ranch where the rancher sighted it last week. Ramey reported that so far the AAF investigation could determine no one had seen the object in the air. Asked what the material seemed to be, AAF officials here said Ramey described it as apparently some sort of tinfoil, as opposed to it's tinfoil, yeah. which is what they said later on. But still, it, it said that it that it was not flimsy initially, wasn't it? And then all of a sudden it's become yeah. flimsy. The rancher's name and location of his place were withheld. George Walsh of radio station KSWS, which provides first news of the announcement, said only Major Marcel... Colonel W.H. Blanchard, commanding officer at Roswell Airfield, and the rancher had seen the object there. Later, AAF headquarters officials denied that they had any information at all on the matter. They said they were trying to call Roswell by telephone to find out what had happened. 
The War Department in Washington had nothing to say immediately about the reported find. So that was by the Associated Press, and that was on July the 8th. So I have an article here from the front page of the Daily Times newspaper in Seattle, Washington, in the the U.S., dated July 8th, 1947. The many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Atomic Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force Roswell Army Airfield, there's a tongue twister for you, was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers and the sheriff's office of Chaves County. The flying object landed on a ranch near Roswell sometime last week. Not having phone facilities, the rancher stored the disc until such time as he was able to contact the sheriff's office, who in turn notified Major Jesse A. Marcel of the 509th Bomb Group Intelligence Office. Can you can you imagine that? Like they have no phone facility. <laughs> now well, it could have been it could have been on his phone, sending pictures. You know, he'd have had a video and he'd have done a selfie with it, wouldn't he? I know that's terrible. <laughs> Action was immediately taken, and the disc was picked up at the rancher's home. It was inspected at the Roswell Army Airfield and subsequently loaned by Major Marcel to higher headquarters. Loaned. <laughs> Yeah, but, but it is interesting, though, isn't it? Who would possess it? You know, if it did fall on to, you know, American government, well, not even American government, if it was to land on American soil, surely it would become automatically the property of the American government, wouldn't it? Well, I'm sure the government would make a law that said so if mm. there isn't already one. Well, around Area 51 area, they had lots of purchase uh, compulsory purchase orders, didn't they, around the Area 51 area? Because they used to use that area for nuclear testing years ago. Yeah. And I know that they bought... So the, if the land belongs to the government, if the government wants it to, then I'm sure as shit sure that the... Uh, anything sure as shit sure. Sure as shit sure. I mean, that's fucking sure. You know? So we've got a, a different... Now, this is from the... Uh, this is the, also the Times. You just read it from the Daily Times in Seattle. This is the Times in London, okay? And it's interesting to see how different the news is reported. So we've got quite long articles there. Front page, yeah. This isn't on the front page. And this is this is our reserved Brits. This is what we do. Okay, so it says, from our correspondent in Washington on July the 8th. <laughs> After an army announcement from Roswell, New Mexico, that an object resembling a flying disc has been found there, the commander of the 8th Air Force said here tonight that the object was being sent to the research centre at Wright Field, Ohio, for examination. End of article. (laughs) Possible aliens (laughs) crashing to Earth, yeah? And and us Brits are just going, well, we're going to check it out and get back to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know what they would do? They'd find the alien and go, would you like a cuppa? (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard you do a British accent before. (laughs) Would you like a cuppa and a bicky? (laughs) Yes, yes, I would. Where is it? Fetch, fetch. So as we said, reports were coming in from all over the states. And this one is actually from the Abilene Reporter in Texas on July the 8th. And it says two flying discs were reported found in Texas. At least one is being investigated by military officials as the total number of Texans claiming to have seen the mysterious objects passed the 50 mark yesterday. So again, this is the day that it all came out of the Roswell incident. And already they 
the Abilene reporter has had now 50 people over the last couple of days reporting seeing stuff so you can't say that it was all hype that came from that first report because these were from before because these were previous yeah so the discs were reported found on a beach at trinity bay bear houston and near hillsborough the houston chronicle said a great deal of mystery surrounded the one found there by norman hargrave a jeweler on sunday he first reported that he'd found the aluminium disc floating near the beach while he and his wife were walking. He described it minutely, even given an inscription that it carried. Today, he said it was all a joke, but the Chronicle, after extensive check-in, said that there are some mysterious facts contained in his first report that gave credence to his tale. So, are military now getting involved and saying, keep your mouth shut? Because that's certainly what seems to have happened with Jesse Marcel and with others, whereby they're now being told to retract their story. Yeah, maybe, I mean, I wonder if they got, like, money to do it, or if they just scared them enough to, Yeah. you know. Well, it said here that um, in his first report, he said that the disc bore this particular wording. It said, military secret of the United States of America, Army AI Force M433-9658. Anyone damaging or revealing description or whereabouts of this missile subject of prosecution by the US government. Call collect at once, LD-446, Army Air Forces Depot, Spokane, Washington. He said the words non-explosive were also carried. So this is should throw in a little bit of a different sort of light on it now because according to this, the disc was actually property of the United States military and was possibly some kind of research project. Well, maybe that then would be in support of the fact that it wasn't from outer space. Yeah. The second flying disc was reported found by Bob Scott. I worked with a Bob Scott. Hello, Bob Scott, if you're listening, by the way. This Bob Scott was a farmer living two and a half miles west of Hillsborough. He said the disc fell on his place Friday and that it resembled a saucer. He said it was so bright, he could not look at it very long. Imagine that. Something falls onto your house or your property or whatever, you know, one morning. You'd expect maybe you know, a meteor or some shit from a plane flying overhead or something like that. But if a UFO just suddenly smashed into your property. Or a house, you know, from a cyclone that falls in. Like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to look up, see if we can find some uh, examples of, see, and of that's a house how they, falling on people. And other that's than how they made the Tin Man, see? Because she just destroyed everything when she landed in her spaceship, Dorothy. And it wasn't really a house. They had, to, uh, they had to cover it up. But really, it was a spaceship. So they hurried up and made a Tin Man out of it so that... So the Tin Man was made out of a UFO. Yeah. You heard it here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I knew there was some, your brain was going somewhere with that. I just uh-huh. had to wait and, and follow through. Uh, he said he was afraid people might believe he was going to extremes in imagining things, and he told no one but his family until yesterday. Then he notified O.F. Kissick and Joe Garrick of Hillsborough, who went to the field and investigated. Most of it had melted, they said. Garrick said one piece looked like tinfoil, but when he picked it up, it appeared to be celluloid. So again, we've got... We've got this tin foil element that's, mm. that's creeping into it. But here they're saying that this thing actually melted. Now, celluloid would melt because obviously it's a, a plastic sort of feeling, isn't it? 
I have no clue. Celluloid is like <laughs> the old camera films is made out of celluloid. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. so that would melt, wouldn't it? Mm. But you wouldn't expect something that's made of tin foil. Well, to it might melt, melt or it well, might not. Temperature if it's high not, enough. Yeah. Because if it's not really what, you know, what, what we use to yeah. make films, then maybe they've advanced it. Yeah. The game of spotting flying saucers broadened yesterday to include Massachusetts and Vermont as stories about the discs continued to swirl as rapidly as the objects themselves. Explanations of the phenomena ranges from the theory that they were radio-controlled flying missiles sent aloft by by the US military scientists to the suggestion that they might be merely sunlight reflecting on wing tanks of jet-propelled planes. But, you know, reflections of sunlight don't usually fall to the floor and melt, do they? No, but could that, could it, could it, go to a point and actually melt you know how like if you leave stuff in the sunlight magnifying glass and then like no wouldn't work well yeah but that would suggest that someone actually left pieces of celluloid and a and a fake flying saucer on the ground for the sunlight to melt them wouldn't they or and had a big ass micro uh, a big ass uh, magnifying glass, magnifying yeah. glass. <laughs> when i see the size of fucking sherlock holmes <laughs> a b cross of chattanooga tennessee a 34-year-old watchmaker announced he invented the flying saucer. Awesome. So the flying saucer is not actually a flying saucer, it's a watch. A watch. Yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> and submitted it to the War Department in 1943, but his idea was rejected as non-practical in the present time. A Spokane, Washington woman insisted the objects she saw were about the size of a five-roomed house. But a Clearwater, Florida woman said the discs she observed resembled pie pans. Pie pans. Oh, yeah, I get it, because that would still be a flying saucer-shaped thing, yeah. wouldn't it? Massachusetts and Vermont reports brought to 40 the number of states in which the objects have been observed. So now 40 states in America now have been have had reports where, over this last couple of days, they've seen flying saucers. Yes, and the old government is still saying, no. Yeah, exactly. No, we don't know nothing about it. Uh, reports persisted that the, the army was looking into the phenomena, but General Carl Spatz, Army Air Force Commandant, said he knew of no AAF plans to search for the sources. So this is, this is a bit ridiculous. Well, because supposedly they much, already found them, though, isn't it? No, That's but what... that to me is as telling as them saying, if they think that that is some way to actually almost... Uh, convince the public that, nah, we're not interested, you know, we don't believe it, then that, to me, is more of a smoking gun than them saying, okay, we'll look into it. Because there is no nation in the world that would have unidentified objects flying through its airspace reporting in 40 of the 52 states, no, 50 states, isn't it, America? Yeah, 48 contiguous plus two. Yeah, okay, so... 40 of the 50 states of America, and the government goes, nah, no, we're not going to look into it. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, well, that's because they already know about it and cleaned it up. Yeah. But like I said to you before, by being so blasé about it, they've increased the whole mystique, do you know? Exactly, exactly. The Navy and Atomic Energy Commission said they had no connection with the mystery. So that, to me, is a more plausible statement because they're not saying that the mystery doesn't exist or that everyone is seeing Well, the Navy doesn't have anything to do with it because it didn't fall in the ocean. (laughs) Well, exactly, yeah. (laughs) This is interesting. So in Detroit, there was... (laughs) 
a police sergeant phoned his headquarters today and shouted, My setter dog just pointed at four of those flying discs. And the guy who he's radioing it through to, or, or telephoning it through to at the station, said, Yeah, what you do about it? asked Charles Martin. He said, I pulled out my gun and fired, cried Smith. And by golly, there was only three of them left. <laughs> and I suppose that's what you really got to worry about in America, yeah. isn't it? Now, if you did suddenly see alien spacecrafts or unidentified objects suddenly start flying around the place, how many Americans would actually take out a weapon and start firing it? I mean, it wouldn't have a problem. UFOs can come to the UK, not a problem. Because as long as they stay more than a couple of feet above the people, that we can't stab them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but in and you America... you can't tase them because... Uh, exactly, yeah. But in America, you, you guys are, are armed. You're armed and ready. Yeah, you don't want to tase a, a, a flying saucer thingy anyway because Frick knows what they'll zap down and get you with. Can, can you imagine that? I'll be like, I'm, I'm touching you, I'm touching you. And then they're like, I'm fucking punching you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's another one here where it says Mrs. Cap Newman and her grandson James Williams of 1534 Grape. <laughs> what? Sorry, it's just Grape. <laughs> said they sighted a flying disc at 7.10pm speeding eastwards at an altitude estimated at 2,000 feet. My grandson was on the front walk when he sighted the disc, Mrs Newman said. He called my attention and I saw it for a few seconds before it went out of sight. Mrs Newman said it was oblong, like a meat platter. The sun was just going down and instead of the object being silvery in colour, as reported in many instances, it had a dark appearance. There was another one here where a local pilot and manager of Winters Airport said he saw a silver object resembling an oblong ball suspended motionless in the sky over his home at 12.45pm. It appeared several thousand feet high and its diameter seemed as wide as the wing spread of a good-sized plane. Do you know what? If I ever saw a UFO and tried to call and report it and they came to interview me or whatever... How the hell are people going to be able to... Oh, it was about 2,000 feet. If they ask me, I'll be like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know it, how high it was. It was, it was yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, everybody yeah. seems to be able to say about how, what you know, what the circumference of the thing is and how high up it is. And Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who the hell they're interviewing, but it ain't nobody with my bloodline, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> What Crow saw, substantiated by his cousin Eugene Wright of Frederick Ockler, Crow called Wright outside and, without suggesting what he'd seen, asked him if he saw anything unusual in the sky. Crow said that after hanging motionless for two or three minutes, the object moved slowly northeast and vanished. He said it moved into the wind. He was certain it wasn't a plane, bird, or cloud. But it could have been a weather balloon. Do you know clouds? Uh, this is a totally different tangent, this is. When I was a kid and I used to see clouds in the sky, you know sometimes you look at a cloud and it looks like something you mm-hmm. can... What What were those splotches that, like, psychologists use, you know, where they say, what does this mean, what, what does this look like? But it was like that kind of thing, you know. I would look at a cloud and I would say, oh, that looks like a horse. I think everybody does that. There's actually a name for that, but I can't remember what no, it is. No, but I used, to, I used to believe wholeheartedly that a horse had just died which is why it now was floating up to heaven and looked like a cloud. Oh, aren't you so, so cute? idealistic? I know. Yeah. I was chatting in work the other day. What, what would really happen is the horse would be carted off and sent to, what, France? The glue factory. So you, so, yeah. 
I um I I was chatting in work the other day. I used to drive my kids past this factory and they used to ask what this smoke was coming out of this big chimney at the factory. Pollution. Yeah, well, I didn't want to tell them that <laughs> as kids because you don't want to tell the kids, oh, yeah, that stuff there is actually, you know, poisoning the environment and you're breathing it in. And as a result, you could end up dying early of, you know, some kind of, you know, that, that's not what you want to tell your kids. So I used to tell them as we went past that it was a cloud-making factory. <laughs> and they loved that idea. And every time we went past, it, oh, the cloud-making factory, here we go. <laughs> It's like it's like Bryce with his um, monster spray. Monster it's spray. amazing sorts of things that yeah. you can tell kids. You can convince kids of anything, can't you? Oh, you can convince me sometimes of the most stupid shit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> we went out, by the way, guys, last night to the Celtic Manor to have a meal. And as we walked into this place above the restaurant, they had eight urns that were in... Uh, that were going you don't across know if the they were of, urns. Well, no, they they well they're in an urn shape. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that they were, but as we walked in, I said to Better, I said, "Oh look," I said, "In those urns, I said, are the previous owners of the Celtic Manor? That's all of their ashes." And she was like, "No way, I'm not believing that this time." <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. What have you got there? Okay, this is from the Albuquerque Journal in New Mexico. Mark Sloan, operator of a Carrizozo flying field, today reported a flying saucer flew over his field at an altitude between 400 and 600 feet. See? Like, I could not... Yeah, but he's he's owns an airfield, so he's used to seeing the altitude of planes and everything. So, you know, I that's okay, fair enough. all right, all right. Sloan said several other pilots at the field witnessed the disc as it swooped over the horizon in about 10 seconds. End of... That's quite important, actually, when you think about it, because the party line that we've all been fed is now that it was a weather balloon. And weather balloons do not sweep across the horizon that quickly, do they? I don't know. I don't have a clue. I'm not a weather woman. I'm not a Well, not unless pilot. there was, not unless there was <laughs> a hurricane going on. I don't think it would have swept across the horizon that See, fast. that's the other thing, right? They can say, the Army, Navy, whoever, the government can say, oh, it was a weather balloon. Because back in 1940-whatever, who the hell? Yeah. I mean, the, there probably wasn't cameras that were good enough to get a look at it. The, I wouldn't have known. I couldn't tell you what a weather balloon looks like if you paid me. But back then, there wasn't any... I mean, the average person, you know, what they do, write, write letters to Aunt Tilda... And, and stick a stamp on it and mail it. Aunt Tilda, she's or, the one who makes the rice, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> or, or they had to read the newspaper or they had to gossip. Yeah. And that's the thing. Today... I think we don't appreciate how much information we have to hand these days. Yeah, it, I know. And But people back then just would have been like, oh, it was a weather balloon. Yeah. Yeah. Go tell his wife. Oh, Jolene, it was a weather balloon. Bring me a beer. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the thing is as well is that the the government had the ability to put out uh, this massive information that could reach everyone via radio, TV, newspaper, etc. But the public, as you said, who maybe think, oh, hang on a minute, this can't be right, had no real mechanism of putting their side of the story across, did they? No. The official response then, the official cover-up story, if you want to believe that, 
what was all that about? Right. So this is from a Fort Worth paper on July 9th. Hey, we met on July 9th. Just... Not freaking 1947, we didn't. Oh, well, if we did, we'd be damn good looking for our age. <laughs> yeah, for our age, yeah. <laughs> An examination by the Army revealed last night that a mysterious object found on a lonely New Mexico ranch was a harmless high-altitude weather balloon, not a grounded flying disc. Excitement was high in disc-conscious Texas until Brigadier General R.M. Ramsey, commander of the 8th Air Forces with headquarters here, cleared up the mystery. The bundle of tinfoil... Broken wood beams and rubber remnants of a balloon were sent here yesterday by an Army air transport in the wake of reports that it was a flying disc. But the general said the objects were the crushed remains of a ray wind target used to determine the direction and the velocity of winds at high altitude. Warrant Officer I. Newton, forecaster at the Army Air Force's weather station here, said, We use them because they go much higher than the eye can see. The weather balloon was found several days ago in a desolate section of New Mexico by a rancher, W.W. W. Brazel. Sorry, Mr. Brazel, if I didn't say that right. He said he didn't think much about it until he went into Corona, North Mexico last Saturday and heard the flying disc reports. He returned to his ranch 85 miles northwest of Roswell and recovered the wreckage of the balloon, which he had placed under some brush. But they sure weren't very careful with, you know, exhibit A and B, were they? It's like they just shove it under a tree somewhere. Oh, that'll be good. Brazel hurried back to Roswell, where he reported the find to the sheriff's office. Texas today was becoming disgusted with the reports of flying discs. Did they really use disgusted? Yeah, disgusted. No. <laughs> Typical tabloid. It is D I S K hyphen G U S T E D. But one good thing about the discs is that they're all well behaved. They're seen but not heard. But like clouds, they stay in the air. Except for that one, which he didn't. Kicked. Yeah. <laughs> they were seen again last night. Five were reported spotted over Wichita Falls. Three were seen by J.B. Bentley, a carpenter. He said they were speeding as fast as an airplane. Two boys said they saw two others. One that J.M. Mings said he saw over Big Sandy in the southern part of Yupahar County was endowed with helicopter qualities. It stopped dead still, Mings said, while its running mate caught up with it. J.E. Hardy, who lives three miles southwest of Snyder on the Ira Road, observed nine saucers going in a southwest direction at fast speed. He said one disintegrated south of his home, breaking into five or six pieces and melting. Okay, well, the last one that we've got here, which I think is quite interesting, actually comes from a weather expert. After that explanation was given about the weather balloons, we've actually got a piece here from the Jacksonville Daily Journal from Jacksonville in Illinois, again on the 9th of July, stating that Army weather experts here discounted any idea that the weather target, such as the one identified in New Mexico, might have been the basis for the scores of reports of flying discs. Brigadier General Donald N. Yates, chief of the AAF Weather Service, said only a few of the wind targets are used daily. 
at points where some specific projects require highly accurate wind information from extreme altitudes. Without field reports, he would not hazard a guess on a precise number used, he said. The US Weather Bureau said it uses none of the radar target balloons at land stations. Some are used from coast guards in the Atlantic, bureau officials said, but they normally blow eastwards towards Europe. Between the Army and the Weather Bureau, hundreds of weather balloons without metallic targets are released daily from all points over the country. Ivan R. Tannenhill, Weather Bureau Chief Forecaster, pointed out, however, that such balloons have been used for many years. He said they were unlikely to have been mistaken all over the country, all in one week, for mysterious objects speeding through the sky at supersonic speeds. So, a couple of points there. First of all, it says that they don't actually set out off those type of balloons inland they set them off from coast areas that then blow out towards europe so that's the first point that sort of goes against the explanation that was used right the second point is is that they said they've been using them for years and years and years and that there's no explanation why there would suddenly be so many people from all over the states that are suddenly noticing these one week out of however many years they've been used yeah and thirdly He said there at the last point that because they've been used for so long, there's no way that they would suddenly look as if they're flying at great speeds through the sky because that's just not what they do. They flow or they just float float on the air currents, yeah. Mm. So I think that's pretty interesting. That came from, as I said, weather experts on the day after the Roswell incident stuff was actually well, recorded. Yeah, so basically all that happened is the government had got to him yet to tell him to keep his his his, yeah, exactly. his mouth shut, right? I hope that you've found some of this useful, guys. I think it's quite interesting to look at some of the newspaper reports actually at the time because there's a lot of stuff that goes on regarding the Roswell incident that's said on podcasts and different paranormal shows and, and ufology stuff without actually looking at the articles that were printed on the day of or the few days before or the few days afterwards. If you want to see those articles, again, please do look in the show notes because we've got a link to that webpage where all of those articles are on there and there's some really interesting reading there. Yeah, so I I guess we're just about at the end of it all, yeah? Yes, we are. Right, well, I just want to say this. Okay, War of the Worlds aliens? Mm Mm-hmm. No, we don't want to see you. Although I think we ended up killing them because they got they weren't resistant to our bacteria. Correct. Okay. You know the one, the alien from the movies, the alien movie with yeah, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, we don't want to see that one either. No. No. Paul, come on over. We're good. I'd like to see you. Who else is there? Et. Et. You always forget Et. Et. Yes. Et. Come to my home. <laughs> I'll be right here. <laughs> <laughs> You're so flipping <laughs> corny. I know, I know. On another note, I would just like to say two thank yous. We have, over the last, well, in January, we have actually had more listeners in January than we have any other point through last year. It's just suddenly exploded. I don't know whether people have suddenly got items over Christmas that they can listen to podcasts on and they've searched and they found our our podcast and they're listening, but it has absolutely gone crazy. I mean, we are getting now thousands of downloads and we really do appreciate it. But there's two people that regularly review, or, or not review, like our podcasts on whatever method it is that they actually view it. And they go under the usernames Wavy, 
That's so we're sending you a wave. Hi. Yeah, wavey, we're sending you a wave. That's W-A-V-E-Y. Thank you very much. Every single episode we bring out, you like. I really do appreciate it. And also Wayne as well. Uh, Wayne is always liking our, our podcast as well, so really do appreciate that. Guys, all I can ask is that our ratings on iTunes, I think there's 11 ratings on there at the minute, and that isn't even a percent of the amount of downloads that we get every single week. So please do get onto iTunes, put a review on there for us. That would be absolutely fantastic. Hello? Ah, somebody's at the door. Go look, go look, it might be E.T. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. Really do appreciate it. Bye.